Hello, Social Work 7300 doctoral students. How are you all doing today? I don't know why I asked you that question. I actually can't hear your answer because this is a podcast lecture, but it seems like the right thing to do, so I ask it. I guess that's just sort of how I warm myself up. But anyways, uh, I hope that you're doing okay. Whatever it is that you're doing, I, I hope that you're having a, a pretty good time doing it and all that. Uh, and uh, having said that, I'll tell you my plan for today's podcast lecture. First thing, I know that normally I do two podcast lectures each week. You know, the first podcast lectures where I kind of like reflect on what we talked about in the previous week. And then the second one is where I try to kind of like set up some stuff for the coming week. And uh, this week, I just do not have time to do that. I wish that I did, but I don't. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is that the cohort that is in front of you this week, they did their written comprehensive exams. And so... Uh, and every single person in that cohort answered, I think, um, definitely at least one, most of them probably like more than one of the questions that I wrote for that exam. So I have a, a, a pretty significant amount of grading that I need to do along with all the normal stuff that I needed to do. And uh, this was a week where just a, a, in, in my own like uh, personal life, I won't bore you with the details, but I will say that I had a lot of things that I expected to go one way and they didn't go in that way. Like I had plans and well... My plans, they did not go the way that I wanted at all. I had a lot of uh, the things come up this week that I didn't expect would come up this week. And so I was really short on time, and I can only do one podcast lecture. This podcast lecture, the one you're listening to right now, I hope you're okay with that. Um, so that's the first thing I wanted to say. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to tell you is what we're going to do in this podcast lecture. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you. It's going to be more kind of like setting up where we're going in class this this coming week. I'm going to talk to you about something which I think is really important. It actually comes from one of the Esther Perel podcasts, the podcast you listened to this week. And I'm going to try to tie that in with some other stuff that we've talked about in this class and in previous classes too. And then I'm also going to talk to you about something which I think is a really, really important principle that animates the work that I do when I'm working with couples. And uh, normally I don't think that my principles should necessarily be anybody else's principles, but this principle that I'm going to be talking about today is kind of an exception to that. I think it actually should potentially apply not just to me, but to other people who do couples work as well. So I'll tell you about that principle. And then I'll do just a couple of other things uh, at the end, some random stuff, some, some uh, various sundry things that I think uh, I would like to talk about. So that's my plan uh, to get started. Let's listen to some fun introduction music, a blast from the past. This is from the early 90s. Uh, I think it is uh, a good song because it kind of gets me in the mood to uh, talk into a microphone, sit in a room by myself like I am right now and talk into a microphone, which is a weird thing. So here's the song. I hope you like it. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools Neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps setting up I think I'm cracking up Am I just paranoid? Did a lot of you recognize that song? <laughs> I remember, uh, I think uh, that album, I think that album came out my freshman year of high school, I want to say. And uh, I listened to it a lot. 
And then I didn't listen to it for years and years and years. And it was uh, recently, I, I heard a clip of that song. I think it was out at like a store or something. And I, I uh, heard that and I was like, oh, I, I, I like that song. And so I decided I'd put it in at the beginning of the podcast lecture this week. You didn't need to know that, but now you know that. Um, so let's move into part one here of this week's podcast lecture. So part one, uh, in the podcast, uh, where should we begin podcast that you listened to this week? There was something that Esther Perel said really close to the beginning of the podcast that really, I think is, is actually pretty smart. And I, I want to reiterate it and then kind of slightly tweak it a bit. So she was talking about a formula that a colleague of hers came up with. And the formula was, that attraction plus op- plus obstacle equals excitement. I'm going to say that one more time. Attraction plus obstacle equals excitement. And when I heard that, I thought, you know, that 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 sounds pretty good to me. I, I think I agree with that. And I, I've been thinking about it. I listened to that podcast, I think, like, or re-listened to that podcast uh, yesterday. And I've been thinking about that part of the podcast since I listened to it. And I'm just, and because sometimes I hear something and I think like, oh yeah, that sounds good. I agree with it. But then time goes by and I start to kind of like poke holes in it and whatever. That didn't really happen with this particular idea. I, I kind of like let it rattle around in my head. And at no point that I find myself thinking like, okay, I want to, want to disagree with this. I want to poke holes in this. I want to try to find the flaws in this thing. I thought it's a pretty simple statement and it's a simple statement that I think I agree with. However, I think I would uh, state it just slightly differently. And I would say that attraction plus obstacle equals desire. And that's the way that I would put it. I think this is important because one of the things that I've, I've spoken with all of you about, I think, over the past couple of weeks is this idea that human beings uh, have this thing called juicence, enjoyment, and that their enjoyment can be kind of like channeled into different things. One of the things that enjoyment can be channeled into is destructive activities, the activities that destroy our bodies, our relationships, our careers, uh, etc. And we, we see those things in couples work a lot. We see that kind of enjoyment presenting itself very often. Uh, to give you a general description of what it might look like, uh, this actually happened to me just uh, pretty, fairly recently. I was, I was meeting with one of the couples that I'm doing therapy with now, and they told me about a recent argument that they had had. And uh, they both wanted to talk about this argument. And what happened is, you know, person one kind of gave me their rendition of the argument. And person two sat with their arms crossed looking really angry. And then it was their turn. They were like, so here's what really happened. And then they gave me their rendition. And then person one, you know, who, who started things off was like, no, no, no. And, and they started to fight about their fight <laughs> in front of me. Right. And it wasn't like a crazy fight. They weren't, they weren't like screaming or yelling. They weren't physically, you know, threatening one another or anything like that, but they were both really worked up in this moment. And they were and, and as, as, as I had to like jump in and, and like do like a, a cutting intervention, I think to kind of like cut through something, what I was trying to cut through was the fact that each of these two people felt extremely like righteous in their uh, anger as a result of, of what they were describing here and the other person's kind of like different perception of it. They both felt like they were right. The other person was wrong. And because they were right and the other person was wrong, that meant that they got to behave in ways that were destructive to their relationship. That's what I saw kind of playing out in front of me. I don't know if that really makes sense as I describe it because I didn't go into a lot of the details here. 
So if you do have questions about this, uh, bring it up when we meet together as a class on Saturday, and I'll, I'll elaborate more. But but that's something that you see often. You see couples basically something happens, and one or both of the people in the couple will start to feel like really righteous about something. And because they feel righteous, what they start to do is they start to act in a destructive way. They try to destroy their partner's opinion, their partner's position, their partner's um, uh, family of origin, their their, their culture. It could, it could be anything really, right? But it's like that thing that my that is important to my partner is wrong and the thing that is important to me is right. And because I am right and they are wrong, I am justified in being destructive towards the thing that is wrong in their life. I, I see that happen a lot, right? So uh, that would be jouissance, enjoyment, being channeled into like a, a destructive thing. And, and there's, of course, many other ways that jouissance could be channeled into destructive things too. We see it in, um, you know, obviously like physical abuse is an extremely destructive thing. Uh, um, affairs can be extremely destructive things, etc. So we, we see that there. And what I've been suggesting in previous weeks is that one of the ways to kind of like redirect the, the, the sort of like energy, the, the libidinal energy that exists in, um, uh, that people can channel into their, their drives, into their destructive impulses, is to somehow introduce an object of desire. And when, when an object of desire is introduced, my thought is that, that that object of desire can start to attract some of that jouissance, can kind of like make it stop all flowing kind of like towards the, uh, the drive and, and start to, and, and the, the truth is I, I, at least according to me, that there's always going to be some jouissance kind of flowing towards the drive. The question is always just like how much is, and what I think you can do is if you, if you can introduce an object of desire, that object of desire and to the extent that it is desirable will redirect the flow of jouissance away from the drive and towards the object of desire. Um, and, and so I think it's really important to, to, I guess, bear this in mind. So when we take a look at this formula that Esther Perel shared, attraction plus obstacle equals desire, I think what we start to see is one of the ways in which we might be able to, when we do this well, when couples do this well, when we help couples do this well, one of the ways in which we can kind of like help them redeploy the way in which jouissance is flowing in their relationships. that was all really abstract. So let me, let me try to make it slightly less abstract here. Um, and to do that, what I'm going to do is, is kind of return to the formula and, and again, tweak it a little bit here. So attraction plus obstacle equals excitement was the original. I shifted it and I said, attraction plus obstacle equals desire. Let's do a second shift here. And let's say that when there's something that we want, we really want it. We see it. We, we perceive it in some way. We go that whatever it is, that's something I want. When, when we have that experience, but we don't have the thing, when we lack the thing 
that we desire, but we think we could get it right. Or we think we could get closer to it anyways. What that does is that can motivate people to do things differently. Now I'm saying this in this way, because one of the things that I think is really important to bear in mind is that, uh, if we see something that we want, but we think it's impossible to get it, we think there's absolutely no way whatsoever that I would be able to acquire or get closer to this thing that I desire. That That's too much obstacle. That's something that is not attraction plus obstacle. That's attraction plus impossibility, and that does not lead to desire. That leads to, to lots of frustration usually, and sometimes even resentment. And that sort of formula, you know, attraction plus impossibility is one of the things that I think kind of empowers the drive, right? When people find themselves in that situation, they go, okay, I can't get the thing that I want. Um, so there's really no point in me behaving myself. There's really no point in me kind of like, um, trying to set myself up to get the thing that I want. I'm allowed or to, to just sort of act however, because the thing that I want is an impossibility. I say that because, again, that's one of the things that I see kind of presenting itself in a rather significant number of couples that I work with. Uh, They'll come in and and one, sometimes both parts of the couple will want something, but they'll think it's impossible to get it, right? They'll be like, there's just no way that my partner is going to accept or understand or or see is in any way possible for me to get this thing that I want, Um it, they're not going to, they're not going to be supportive. They're not going to to work with me and they're actually going to try to, to dissuade me when couples are in that situation. That's where, that's where drive gets activated. And so I think a lot of times what the couples work is, is, is taking this formula and moving it from, uh, you know, attraction plus impossibility equals uh, destructive drive to attraction plus obstacle equals desire. Uh, and when you make that shift, what you're trying to get the couple to, to, hopefully do is to recognize that one or both of them want something and rather than seeing the thing that they want as no not up for grabs totally an impossibility something that they can never actually achieve to change it into something that where where there's an obstacle that's kind of step one i think if you can do that then what happens is you and i think you do that by cutting through things i think you cut through the very uh, kind of like concept of impossibility. And, and you do that by performing cutting interventions, which we've talked about in previous, uh, uh, I almost said episodes. Um, what, what would I call it? Uh, meetings uh, of this class, right? So that, that's one of the things that you do here. And I'm not going to talk about specifically how I do that right here, right now. Again, that's something that we can probably talk more about when we meet together as a, as a class on Saturday. So you kind of cut through impossibility and if you can can break cut into impossibility, one of the things you can start to do is break it up. And when you break it up, what you do is you break it up into these like kind of like smaller obstacles. When there's an obstacle, an obstacle is not an impossibility. An obstacle is something which is a barrier sort of between where you are and where you want to get to. Uh, a barrier between what you have and what you, you would like to have. But an obstacle is something that somebody sees as uh, not an impossibility. It's something that they think that they can potentially start to get through, start to get over, start to get under, et cetera. When you start doing that, that's, that, that's really good. And I think that, um, a lot of the couples work that I do never actually get to that first part because people kind of call it quits before it gets there. But the couples who do get to that, that phase 
tend to get to even like the next phase of couples work, right? So they, there's this idea where you take impossibility. If you can transfer impossibility into obstacle, um, that's kind of phase one. Then the next phase, and this is the, the most difficult phase is, um, getting the couple to understand that the obstacle is actually not their enemy, that the obstacle is one of the things that kind of continues to keep their desire alive. So I want to, um, explain that a little bit better here. Uh, so imagine that there's a couple, they come to you and, and say that this couple kind of actually likes each other. They're, they, they don't, they don't, they're not a, they, it like, um, that place where they just kind of like want to destroy each other. They still like each other, but they're having some kind of problem and they've come to couples therapy. Um, and maybe the problem is that, uh, you know, they, they can't have kids. I'm, I'm making this up on the fly here, right? It, it's an impossibility. And, uh, the, then what happens is maybe through the course of therapy, this goes from, uh, an impossibility to you. You can't have kids to, you might not be able to like biologically produce children. Maybe there's a different way you can, can, uh, have the experience of being a parent or something like that. But there's going to be obstacles. You're not just going to get that like tomorrow. You can't just go to like target and pick up a kid. Um, you know, so maybe you get to that point and then what happens is the couple kind of starts to, you know, come together and coalesce a little bit and kind of like start to work to overcome the obstacles. And, uh, eventually it gets to a point where they, they come in and they're just like, Oh my God, we're so exhausted. We've been working on these obstacles. We're not getting anywhere. And you point out something out to them. You point out like, you know, what's really interesting to me is that before a lot of your energy was going into like fighting each other, uh, trying to, to prove each other like wrong or something. And now your energies have been kind of like combined into overcoming these up. Op- you're actually working together. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That you're working together in a weird way. This obstacle that you're experiencing, this attraction to having the experience of parenting plus the obstacle of not having it has kind of like brought you together in a, in a weird way, right? And then you don't want to suggest that they, they never get to be parents, but what you're trying to do in this or what I'm trying to explain in this ex- made up example is you're trying to show them that a lot of times obstacles are not catastrophes. Obstacles are actually things that can bring people together be, and, and obstacles tend to help people feel motivated, um, to, to feel desiring, uh, to, to get something that they, they don't have and that that can be really good. So I'm hoping that that makes sense as I describe it. I don't know if it does, but I hope that it does. I'm not going to go farther now. Again, if you have questions, I'm hoping that you'll ask them when we come together as a class on Saturday. And the land is dark And the moon Is the only Light we'll see